0: We can do our part, but there's only so much that we can do when it comes to reconciliation. And so, what do we do when we're doing everything we can, and yet the peace isn't being made? Well, what's the Lord call us to at that point? Uh, before we go into that, I just want to know I, if I'm the only one. I have someone like this in my life that I'd love to reconcile with. I just don't see how it would come about. Uh, would you just raise your hand if you do too? Am I the only one? Or just, do you have someone in your life that you're thinking, I would love to make things right with? Okay, quite a few of us. Well, the story we're going to read today has a man in the very same situation. His name is Jacob. And if you've been with us for a while, you're pretty familiar with him. And you know his story. If you're just joining us. We're walking through the book of Genesis, and we are in the life of this man named Jacob right now. And his story so far looks a bit like this. He was born the second of two twin sons, and so his older brother was the heir apparent to a great house in his day. And spent much of his childhood quarreling with his brother, rivaling with his brother to try to gain that inheritance from him. So would be a little bit like if you were Jeff Bezos' second born son and only one of you was going to inherit Amazon and you're quarreling with each other the whole time over it. Jacob comes out grabbing his brother by the heel, trying to supplant him the whole time. Eventually he scams his brother into giving him his birthright and then tricks his father into giving him the inheritance so he becomes the heir but he does so through scam and through trickery well then soon afterward his brother having lost everything becomes so angry with him that he wants to murder him so he breathes out threats of murder and his mother, Rebecca, their mother, uh, Rebecca, goes to Jacob and says, your brother wants to kill you. Flee back to my homeland for a short time, and then I'll send word to you when his temper calms down, and then you can come back. Well, he flees. He goes and lives in her hometown. And 20 years later, word has never come that Esau's temper has eased. And so it certainly would look like Esau still wants to kill him. Jacob gets in all kinds of trouble where he is, and then the Lord brings him out of it. And now Jacob is coming under God's guidance back to his home. And he knows what that means. When he gets there, he's going to have to deal with Esau. He's going to have to go back to his estranged brother who wants to kill him. So if you can imagine that person that you want to make things right with and you don't know how it's going to happen, imagine if you had to go live with them again or if you had to go back to work for them or back to whatever situation you were in with them again. He's knowing that he's got to go back and be with Esau again. What happens, God can use a story like that to make us into the kind of people who can make peace even in a difficult situation like that, whether there are big conflicts or little conflicts in your life. I believe the Lord wants to use this story to make us into peacemakers and even move us to make peace in those situations themselves, even perhaps. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the story chunk by chunk. It's another long one, but we're not going to read the whole thing at once. We'll read one piece, then we'll talk about it a little bit, and along the way, we'll gather some of the meaning that this author is giving us. If you're not there yet, turn to Genesis 32, and we'll walk together first through the first five verses and then through other chunks later on. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus shall you say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. So, as the story begins, Jacob is going back into his homeland. And a rather mysterious thing happens. On the way out, he saw angels coming and going up and down a ladder. Now he comes back in and he sees a camp of angels, which he names literally two camps. So evidently it's two camps of angels that he sees. And we're kind of left to wonder, what are these angels doing? They met him there. So God has sent messengers to meet him, but we don't really learn what they're up to. We just have to wonder. And then there's this interesting thing, the name he gives them means two camps, which is just a beautiful symbolic thing that happens in Genesis a lot. Jacob's story is often about things being divided into twos. Twin brothers are divided over an inheritance. Two sisters are divided over their husband's love and over who can have the more children. The flocks get divided up several different times, and now there are two camps of angels near his side. Perhaps not a lot of meaning there, but some beauty as the things keep repeating in the story. Well, the Lord sends his messengers down to meet with Jacob, and at the same time, Jacob sends his messengers out to meet with Esau, saying to them, Say to my Lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob. So he is speaking as if Esau is in charge. You're the Lord, I am the servant. Sends messengers out hoping to gain the favor of Esau. How does it go? Well, we start to find out in verse six. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. And then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the animals into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So his messengers come back with no words of peace, with no words of favor from Esau, just he's coming to meet you and he's bringing 400 men with him. Now that sounds scary enough. It's even scarier when we remember that the standard size of a raiding party in Old Testament times is 400 men. So he is coming with an army. He is coming with a raiding party to conquer this village, these two camps of people, and take everything they have from them. So understandably, Jacob is very scared. He divides the camp in two. Here's that same little repetition again. Now another camp gets divided in two for defensive means. And then he does something that may be a little surprising to you if you follow Jacob this whole time. He goes to the Lord in prayer with his fear. He looks to God and he says, God, you've made me great promises. Would you deliver me from my brother? Would you give me favor in his eyes that I could survive this inevitable meeting with him and his 400 men? Now, if you know this story well, you might remember that this is quite different from the Jacob from before. Before, when his wife was barren, he forgot to pray, didn't he? Now he's in great distress and he does pray to the Lord. So there has been some maturity in Jacob's life. 20 years of knowing the Lord and walking with the Lord have made him a prayerful man in a way that he was not before. So we're already starting to see a little bit of maturity in him. We should remember that because that will come into play later on. The story goes on in verse 13. Let me me actually read the prayer to you in verse 9. We'll go back to verse 9. Jacob said, "O oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord who said to me, 'Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good,' I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children." But you have said, surely I will do you good, and I will make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So now this matured, prayer-filled Jacob says he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls. 12 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put space between drove and drove. He he instructed the first, where Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. And likewise, he instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. And so the present passed ahead of him and he himself stayed that night in the camp. So here we see another mark of maturity for Jacob. You may remember the way that he dealt with his brother in the past was by taking everything he could from him, right? That was how he controlled his brother. That's how he got out from his brother what he wanted from him. Now he's doing the very opposite. He is sending gifts generously to his brother. So that's, that's one more way that this Jacob seems to be changing and seems to be maturing, He doesn't just send a gift, but he handles it really delicately. The the way Esau would experience this is some livestock would come to him and he he would receive it and they would say, look, your servant Jacob is behind us. Here is a gift to you. And while he is surveying it, saying, well, look at all these lambs and all these sheep that he gave us. Oh, well, then here come the rams that Jacob is giving. Oh, I'm receiving even more. And, And while he's trying to survey that, here come the bulls and the cows that Jacob is giving, just wave after wave of gift, generosity upon generosity. That might warm his heart so that when he finally sees Jacob, his heart is warmed toward him. That is very different from the Jacob of the past. The Lord has grown this man into a generous man. Now, the story gets a little strange. And we get to one of my favorite parts of Genesis, a part that I bet you have so many questions about that next week I'm going to preach a whole sermon just on this next paragraph, but we will draw a little bit of meaning from it now, and I'll try to restrain myself not to preach the whole thing right now. What happens next just comes out of nowhere. The same night he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God, face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Pinuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Fascinating twist in the story here. I'll give you the short version now and the long version next week. Jacob has asked God for his help. And in this mysterious and strange way, the Lord gives his answer. He shows up, there's a wrestling match, all kinds of meaning in their dialogue there. But the end of it is the Lord blesses him. He says, in your dealings with God and man, you will prevail. So so this is saying, not only have you wrestled with God and lived, but even in your dealings with man, you will survive also. Now that's important because Jacob is about to go and meet with someone in which he really needs help, right? So the Lord is answering, you want my help in that meeting with Esau. Not only will your dealings with me go well, your dealings with Esau will go well also. So God is giving him blessing and even victory in his meeting with Esau. Not only that, but God changes him. He says, your name is no longer going to be trickster, heel grabber, Jacob. Your name's going to be Israel now. So we pull from that two pieces of meaning that really everything else in the story is going to be built on. Number one, God is blessing Jacob and giving him favor in this meeting with Esau. And number two, God is changing Jacob as well. Now, that's important for us. We can draw our meaning there because that shows us really the two ways that God gives us peace with our enemies. He gives us favor in that meeting, in the sight of that person we are meeting with, and he changes us. If you want a simpler version of that, God gives us peace with our enemies by changing them and by changing us. That's how the Lord does it. This whole story is going to add up to show us that peace with others is a gift from God. The Lord gives us peace with other people. And as we get deep into the mystery of it here, we're seeing the two ways that he does that. He gives us favor in the eyes of the other person as the Lord is about to do to Esau. And he changes us to make us into more peaceable people. We see that in the changing of Jacob's name and the way that he is very different now from the way that he used to act. And so we'll spend the rest of this morning really just diving into those two ways God gives us peace by changing our enemies and by changing us. So, first, God gives us peace by giving us favor in their eyes. Now, remember, I said earlier that a lot of times in those peacemaking conversations, you can do everything right, but some of it depends on them, right? If they won't talk to you, You can't make peace with them. If they're still angry with you over what you did, you can't make peace. You just have to wait until they are ready to talk with you. One of the ways that God gives that peace is by changing their hearts and warming them up toward us. So if the obstacle that is in the way is simply winning them over, they're going to have to have favor for it to work. Only God can give that. Just like only God can give Jacob that favor in Esau's eyes now. The Proverbs say that the plans of a man belong in his heart, or the plans of the heart belong to a man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. That means that you can purpose in your heart to go ask your boss for a raise, and you can plan that out just right, and then you can go say it just right, but your boss's answer, you're not in control of that, are you? The answer of their tongue is from the Lord. And that is rather meaningful in these conflict situations as well. You can have everything just right in your heart. You can plan it out well, but the answer that they give to you, that is from the Lord. And so before you go, you must go to the Lord and ask for his favor because only God can give you that favor in their eyes. Elsewhere in the Proverbs, they say that when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So that peace that comes from your enemies, that part that doesn't rest on you, but it rests on them, the Lord gives that. And so when you want that, when you need that, the one to go to, the one to ask for that help is God in heaven. There is the motivation we need to bring these situations to God in prayer because it doesn't all depend on us. We can't control what they do. No, we need the Lord to give them favor in our eyes. It doesn't always happen quickly. For Jacob it took 20 years before the Lord gave him favor in Esau's eyes. But the Lord loves to do it and when it happens it comes from him. So the one we must go to when we need that favor from the other side it is the Lord himself. There's some of us who would say things like I'm ready to forgive my dad. For the way he treated me when I was young, but he still won't talk to me. What's it going to take for your father's heart to move so that when you go, you really can reconcile with him? It's going to take the Lord softening his heart. All right. I'm ready to talk to my old roommate about how things went down when we left that house together, but they're not ready to talk to me What do you need to do? You need to go to the Lord and say, God, will you give me favor in their eyes? Will you change them as you have changed me so that we can go back together and be friends again? It's the Lord who gives us favor in the eyes of others. The Lord that gives us peace even with our enemies. So that's one way that the Lord gives us peace, by changing their hearts to give us favor so that we have a window in so that we can make peace with them. But there is something else that God may change as well, or rather someone else that God may change also. He may change you as well. That's the other way that God gives peace in these difficult situations, by changing your heart. And we see at least three ways here with Jacob that he does change our hearts. The first one, we already went through a little bit earlier in the story. Jacob sent a generous gift to Esau. And that was very different from his former character, right? Now, old Jacob, when his brother Esau came in from the field, famished and hungry and said, Oh, would you give me some stew? I am starving. Old Jacob didn't say, oh brother, what a coincidence. I have this stew here. Here, have it all and fill your hungry belly. Let me give it all to you. No, that's not what old Jacob did. Old Jacob said, I'll give you a little of this stew if you give me your birthright, right? No generosity in that heart, no. But New Jacob is going to meet with the same Esau and he doesn't tell his servants, all right, the first wave, I want you to put out all the fires so that he can't communicate with everybody. And the second wave, I want you to take all their weapons so they can't hurt anybody. The third wave, I want you to just take out everyone else who is in the camp except for Esau. And that way, by the time I get there, he's got no defenses and I've got him cornered. That's what old Jacob would have done. New Jacob says, let's send him the sheep. And then after that, let's send him the rams and the goats. And then after that, let's send him some bulls. Let's just send him gift after gift after gift. This is a new man. This is a changed man. And this is one of the ways that God changes us to give us peace with others. He makes us generous toward our enemies. Essentially, what Jacob is doing here is he has learned one of Jesus' teachings that is written already on his heart. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jacob has learned to love his brother that he has been at enmity with for his whole life. And the principle we can pull from this is that if you are making peace with someone, generosity very much helps In fact, the Lord may be changing you and making you more generous to them. If he's doing that, he's doing that to give you peace with that person. If you sit down with someone in a long-awaited conversation where you're going to try to work things out, it just helps to say something like, Hey, I was thinking about you yesterday, and I remember how much you love those chocolate bars from Target. And so I stopped on the way, and I got you one. Here you go. Now you've set the tone for that conversation a very different direction than it perhaps could have gone. Uh, This is one way that the Lord makes peace with our enemies then. The Proverbs say in another place that a gift given in secret averts anger and a bribe can even gain favor. Now you can use that knowledge wickedly to bribe a government official or to ask your boss for a raise and give them a gift before you ask your boss for a raise. There are wicked ways we could handle that, but there are also wise and shrewd ways we could handle that. When we need to make peace with someone, a gift warms the heart. It averts anger. And so as our Lord teaches us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, and to shower them with generosity, He's actually making us into peacemakers, people who can iron out the wrinkle in that conversation with a kind gift and with generosity. So there's one way the Lord changes us to give us peace. He makes us generous toward our enemies. The next one comes in the following verses. Let's go back to the story and look at verses 1 through 3 in chapter 33. Jacob is now met with God. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming with 400 men with him. So here is the fateful moment. There's the scary sight. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, and then Leah with her children, and then Rachel and Joseph last of all. And he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. This is very different than what he did the night before. The night before, he separated all the camps, sent them across the river, and he stayed back. so, So the very last person, the most defended person, was Jacob and everybody else was there ready to get wiped out by Esau. Now he has met with God. God has given him favor and even boldness. And here he is in the front of the party. He is no longer afraid of Esau. No, he has met with God and his life has been preserved. And so he is not afraid of anything. Here is then another way that the Lord changes us to give us peace with our enemies. He gives us courage. When you know God himself. If you can say along with Jacob, I have seen the face of God and my life has been delivered. When you know forgiveness at the hand of an almighty God, it gives you boldness. It gives you courage. And now you're no longer afraid of your enemies. Now you're no longer afraid of others, but you're in a position where you can love them instead of be afraid of them. And those are two very different things. The Lord teaches himself when he's on earth, don't be afraid of men who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. No, fear God who can kill both the body and the soul. As we come into contact with God, we're more able to live that out. Knowing him and knowing his forgiveness gives us boldness. It changes you into a courageous person that can make peace. The reason this helps make peace is that when we are afraid, we tend to react in three ways. We either freeze, we flee, or or we fight. And all three of those will just make conflict worse if we fall to them. If you sit down with someone that you're trying to make peace with, and you're scared out of your mind, you're going to try to say something, and you're going to say, so I was... and it, you'll just lock up, right? You freeze, and that's not going to help in the conversation. Is it? Maybe it will give them a little sympathy for you, but you won't be able to speak with wisdom. You won't be able to speak with eloquence. All the things you had prepared to say, you won't say them right because you're just scared. So this is one way that being scared can get in the way of peace. Or maybe instead, you won't sit down with them at all, but you'll find a really good reason not to even go to that meeting or to get out of that place or to be as far from them as you can. You'll flee because you're afraid of them, and that won't make peace between the two of you. That'll just put the distance even farther. Or perhaps, worst of all, when we're scared, we fight. And so you may sit down scared and 30 seconds into the conversation, I can't believe you did that. You never listened. Every time I talk, you don't want to listen. Boom, you're fighting, right? Is that going to help make peace? No, it's not going to help make peace. So where can we find then that courage that we need to say the wise thing, to love our enemies, and to handle that conversation well? We find that courage from knowing God, from having forgiveness from Him, and living in the fear of God. The fear of God swallows up every other fear, including the fear of man. So there is another way that the Lord changes us into people who can make peace. He gives us courage. We read on from verses four to 11 to see yet a third way the Lord changes us. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes, and he saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servants. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down, and last Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and thus he took it. So we see Jacob again acting very differently than he had acted before. Before, Esau was truly in charge, and he was trying to get on top of him. But now we see a mature man, a man who loves the Lord now, and now he's acting very differently. He is the one who is actually the Lord in the situation. He's the heir. He's the one who's in charge. And yet over and over again, he is treating Esau as if Esau were in charge. He keeps calling him, my Lord Esau. He keeps calling himself, your servant Jacob. When he approaches Esau in verse 3, he bows down seven times. This is something you would do before a king in that era. He brings a present, which is a little more literally a tribute, like what you would bring to the king who is in charge of you to say, Do I have favor in your eyes? Look how much I have given you. Will you give me favor now, O Lord, O king? So he's treating Esau as if he is the king. Yet another strange thing he does in verse eleven, he says, Will you take my blessing? We have in our translation, accept my blessing. It's the same words that Esau has said before when he raged against Jacob. Is he not rightly named Jacob? He took my birthright, and now he has taken my blessing. Right? So Jacob is or Esau has uttered those words at Jacob. Now, twice in this story, Jacob says to him, will you take my blessing? So, between these two things, what Jacob is doing is he's acknowledging his wrongdoing in stealing the inheritance from Jacob. He's the Lord, but he's going to Esau as if Esau were the Lord as a subtle way of saying, I know you should be the one in charge. I know you were born first, and I know that I took this from you. Then he echoes the very words that were spoken against them. He took my blessing. He echoes them back and says, here now, will you take my blessing? A way of saying, I was wrong to take that from you. Here, take this in return. So now Esau is in a situation where if he accepts the present, he is forgiving his brother. And if he refuses the present, he is denying forgiveness to his brother. And that is why it is so meaningful that Jacob urges Esau and Esau takes it. This is a very nuanced way this is happening, but Jacob is acknowledging that he was wrong. He's acknowledging his sin without taking away from the fact that he is the Lord now of the house and his father did bless him. And he's asking, brother, will you forgive me for what I have done? Esau graciously says, yes, brother, I have enough and I will take it. So this shows us one final way that the Lord changes us into people who can make peace. He makes us into the kind of people that can acknowledge our wrongs and try to make them right. There are some conflict situations where one person is completely in the wrong and the other person is not in the wrong at all. We might think of a child that had an abusive father, very one-sided in that conflict. But most of our conflict situations, we can look back and we could say, yeah, I think their sins are a bigger deal, but I did some wrong as well. One way the Lord will give you peace in those situations is by growing you to take those sins seriously, so that you're willing to acknowledge them to the person, to apologize and to ask forgiveness. This is difficult because usually we are completely blind to our sins in these situations. it is hard to see what you have done to contribute to the conflict and very easy to see what they have done to contribute to the conflict. More than that, if you can see what you have done and see what they have done, it's very easy to make a small deal out of your own sins and a big deal out of their sins. But what Christian growth and Christian maturity do in a person is they teach us to take our own sins most seriously of all. For we know that no matter how much we suffer at the hands of others, Our own sins are the costliest to us in the long run. So we can look and say, okay, there was a lot of wrong in what that person did to me, but I was also wrong in how I responded. And that's what I'm going to care about. That's what I'm going to focus on. Now you're going to meet with them, and your sins are a bigger deal to you than theirs. Now you're in a place where peace may truly get made. This is one way the Lord grows us and makes us into peacemakers. The way he does this is that knowing Jesus' forgiveness, it lowers our defenses and begins to remove our blind spots for our own sins. No longer do we feel like we have to protect ourselves and convince everybody that we're flawless because the one who sees all of our flaws loves us and forgave us. And so if we can have that meeting with God and he says, I love you, you are my child, Well, no longer do I need to cover all of my sinful habits. No longer do I need to save face in front of everyone. And so I can go to that person and I can tell them, you know, I was wrong too. Here is how I was wrong. That's how God grows us and makes us into peacemakers. Don't miss here that Esau had done wrong in the situation also. Esau had breathed out threats against Jacob He had many times suffered a lack of self-control. He is not without his own flaws, but Jacob comes to him, and he has nothing to say about Esau's flaws. He doesn't meet with him and say, I can't believe you threatened to kill me. That's not how he begins this meeting, nor how he ends it. He says, brother, I was wrong to take that from you. Will you take my blessing and forgive me? This is the sort of spirit by which the Lord gives us peace with others. So there are then three ways that he grows us and changes us. I just want to show you one more thing from this story. If we pick up at verse 10, I'm going to finish the story out and then we'll come back to verse 10 and I'll point out something about it. Jacob said, "No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from your hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please" Take my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough, and thus he urged him, and thus he took it. And then Esau said, let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail, and the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass ahead of his servants, and I will lead on slowly." at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave you with some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed south to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he brought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he pitched his tents. And there he erected an altar, and he called it El Elohi Israel. So they have a bit of a negotiation, and they come to a silent and tacit agreement that Esau and Jacob will split ways. Jacob will not follow Esau. He doesn't quite say it outright, but they agree that they're going to part ways, and there seems to be an understanding between the two of them. It does not appear to me that Jacob actually tricked Esau there, but they seem to have come to a quiet agreement on that. I want to focus, though, on one more thing that Jacob says in verse 10. After he says, accept my present from my hand. He says, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Now, this is very similar to what he said earlier when he met with God. I have seen the face of God, and my life has been delivered. And there are all these parallels in the story. First, God sends messengers to Jacob, and then Jacob sends messengers to Esau. And then God meets with Jacob, and Jacob meets with Esau. And after God's meeting with Jacob, Jacob says, I have seen the face of God, and my life has been delivered. After he meets with Esau, he says, I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you've accepted me. Now in part, this is just something you say to a king in those days. So he's doing the lordship thing for him as well and honoring him. But we can't miss the connection there. Because he even puts in the words like seeing the face of God. He's saying this meeting is like that other meeting. I should have been beaten in that other meeting too. But I made it out. Here I am before an army that is so much greater than me. And because you've had unmerited favor for me, I am living. And he says, that is like seeing the face of God. To meet with one who has been your enemy for 20 years and to hear them say, I forgive you. And to know that they mean it that is like seeing the face of God. Why is it like seeing the face of God? Well, if you're a Christian, I bet you know why, because that's what happened when you, proverbially speaking, saw the face of God. When he called your name and said, come to me, child, and receive my son Jesus and receive forgiveness. That's like seeing the face of God. So, We draw from this one last point and that is to give and receive forgiveness is divine. Forgiveness is divine. We are made in God's image and thus we can do some things that nobody else can do. Humans are able to speak words of wisdom and nothing else in creation can do that. A waterfall can amaze us but it can't give us wisdom by speaking. And other animals can do amazing things, but they cannot speak with sage-like wisdom. But the Lord gives us the ability to, every once in a while, say something very wise. And when it happens, it's amazing. It, it's divine. You're, you're there in the meeting at work, and no one can figure out the solution to the problem. And then one person just says, I've got it. And then they share the answer, and everyone says, oh, that's it right we all celebrate it's amazing because because it's a divine thing it's a god like thing to be able to spout out wisdom like that like god has been doing from the beginning of time other creatures can can reproduce you know dogs can bear dogs and cats can bear cats but but no one but us humans can bear forth another image bearer like we can and when it happens it's it's amazing right they, They put the picture of the baby on Facebook and everybody goes nuts, right? And Then we all go in the hospital and we hold that baby in our arms and we say, wow, right? It approaches on divine when something like that happens because we're actually getting to participate in God's work and do something that only God can do to participate in creating human life. Well, one of those things that only we can do that the rest of creation cannot do is forgive others a waterfall will not forgive you if you fall in you fell in a dog might forget but if it doesn't forget it's definitely not going to forgive and if you've worked with an animal that has a scarred past you know that a cat you don't even have to do anything wrong do you (laughs) a cat's still not going to forgive you But what can we do? We can forgive. And when it happens, boy, it just approaches on divine, doesn't it? Because only humans can do that. So if there's someone in your life that you need to forgive, friend, God has given you the ability to do it. And as you do, you approach on even divine things, things that only image bearers can do. So I urge you, forgive your brother forgive your sister, and let them even say in their hearts, boy, this is like seeing the face of God. The very good news is that that sweetness of forgiveness can be yours before God. Some of you are thinking now about quarrels you have with others, and maybe they were the offender in that quarrel, or maybe you were the offender, maybe both of you. Uh, But there's a bigger quarrel for all of us, a bigger war for all of us. And it is with a God whom we have offended. A God before whom we are the only one who has done wrong and he has done nothing but right. Now Jacob was able to send payment for his sins ahead of him before he met with Esau. And Esau took it so he was forgiven. You have an inevitable meeting coming before God as well only you have no payment to offer. You cannot send bulls and cows before you to appease your God. And if you did, he would say, well, they were already mine anyway. What else do you have? With no payment for your sins, you are headed toward the God of the universe that you've offended the same way that Jacob has offended Esau and knows he must go and meet him. But here is what has happened for you. This God, knowing that you have no payment to offer, no restitution to give, he has sent his son to the world to die a sinner's death and rise from the dead, offering payment for the sins of anyone who would trust him. You can't send the goats and the bulls ahead of you, but someone better than goats and bulls has already gone ahead of you. The scripture says all who receive him and believe upon his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. That means if you would like to receive that sweet forgiveness, not from your enemy, but from God on high, what you must do is turn to this Jesus, receive him as Lord, as Savior, as God, and as so much more, look to him and find forgiveness. Let's pray.